It's a good thing. Um, we've got a, a special treat today as, as one of our elders, Eric Lapointe, is going to preach. And this is exciting for me because um, as a church, it's just really easy for church and just in our whole Western culture, church becomes kind of the show. It becomes a nice entertaining show where you come in once a week, like a movie almost. Um, you come in, get some previews, get some food, sit there, get entertained. Um, but, you know, we believe that it's meant to be much more than. Part of that for my, for my personal heart is um, I want our church never just to be about one person or what we're doing. But my personal passion is to raise up uh, preachers, to raise up young people who want, learn to preach the word of God, learn to be able to teach. And, and especially for elders, this is one of the qualifications an elder is able to teach. So I'm excited to have Eric LaPointe give his first sermon ever. Um, then this is a big deal. So why don't we encourage him as he comes up here? Thanks, Dan. Yeah, first sermon. And my mom's here, which is the part that really makes me nervous. Um, no, truthfully, um, I've been working on this for a while, and, it, and it, it gives me a deep appreciation for what we get every Sunday um, that, that Dan puts together, puts the time and energy to bring the word and to apply it to our lives. Uh, it's, it's not easy. Uh, it, it takes some time. Um, I, I actually do, I work at a Christian organization, I work with Samaritan's Purse, and I do get a chance to, to do devotions and, and kind of do some teaching as part of my, as my life, and I have a process that I, I go through um, in, in preparing. There's always kind of prayer ahead of time and then wait to see what the Lord lays on my heart. And um, the, uh, historically, it's always been the same thing where God usually lays something on my heart to share that I'm currently walking through. Um, it's currently part of my journey. And the advantage of that is it's always going to be very authentic because uh, I'm in the middle of it. Uh, the disadvantage of that for you guys is that the application isn't complete yet because I'm still in the middle of the process. So, so that's a little bit of my disclaimer. Um, many of you know that uh, I got pretty sick uh, earlier this year. I, I got a staph infection and was in the hospital and, and kind of completely out of commission for a better part of a month. And uh, during that time, all of my responsibilities were placed on hold. I wasn't going to work and... You know, I wasn't getting elder emails. I wasn't teaching downstairs. So I kind of just, I got a break. I got a time out. Um, and a weird thing happened. When I got ready to go back to work, um, I, I started experiencing some significant anxiety. Um, and it wasn't quite panic attacks, but certainly it was the racing of the heart and kind of shaking. And all of a sudden, things that I used to, that I knew I was good at, like public speaking or leading meetings or just things that I knew I was good at, all of a sudden I was experiencing a lot of anxiety about it. And um, even on Sunday mornings, for some reason, I would come to church and I would just feel this anxiety, like, oh, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing, or all these people are just, just weird. I had no idea where it came from. And so that's, that's kind of what I was left with for, for the better part of a month, just experiencing this anxiety and not understanding what it was from. And I went on a retreat uh, for work about, uh, say, a month later. And uh, they had, they had us work through this passage of Scripture. And I don't know if you guys have ever had this experience where you are, you're paging through the Bible, you're doing devotions, and God just, boom, speaks something. And you can feel it. It's like electric. You read the words and you're like, yes, that is what you're telling me. That is what you're explaining to me. And as an aside, that's why... We need to read God's word. And I'm not saying this because I'm really good at doing it consistently. I'm saying it because of the absolute importance. These are God's words, and he's going to use 
these words to help us understand what's going on in our head and in our hearts. And that's what happened to me. So that's the context for the passage we're going to look at. This was God illuminating something that was going on in my heart. Uh, so the scripture we're going to look at is 1 Samuel 15, 1 to 26. Uh, it's on page 204 in the Pew Bibles in front of you if you want to follow along. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's kind of a long passage, so I did cut out a couple of chunks. Um, uh, so you can, if you want to read the whole thing, you can just read in the Bible. But let's, uh, let's dig into the word. It says, And Samuel said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people Israel. Now, therefore, listen to the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I have noted what Amalek did to Israel in opposing them on the way when they came out of Egypt. Now go and strike Amalek and devote to destruction all that they have. Do not spare them, but kill both man, woman, child, and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. And then jump to verse 7. And Saul defeated the Amalekites from Havilah as far as Shur, which is in east of Egypt. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and devoted to destruction all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and the oxen and of the fatted calves and the lambs and all that was good. He would not utterly destroy them all. All that was despised and worthless, they devoted to destruction. The word of the Lord came to Saul. I regret that I have made Saul king. For he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And Samuel was angry and he cried to the Lord all night. And Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning and it was told to Samuel... Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set up a monument for himself and turned and passed on and went down to Gilgal. And Samuel said, though you are little, this is jumping again down to verse 17, and Samuel's talking to Saul here, says, though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel, and the Lord sent you on a mission and said, go to devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they're consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord. Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. I have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and I have devoted the Amalekites to destruction. But the people took of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the best of the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. And then we'll finish jumping to verse 24. Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may bow before the Lord. And Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. Just pray with me for a moment. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that this story is in your word because you want to teach us something about who you are and about what it means for us to have a relationship with you. Lord, may this word sink deeply into our hearts. Lord, I pray that the application that you have laid on my heart would, would speak to, to the village community this morning. We thank you and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. So let me break down this uh, passage a little bit. Uh, Saul was a king over Israel. His, his name actually means asked for. Uh, as he was the first king, the, the way that God had designed it, there were men uh, called judges leading the people of Israel, and that's how God wanted it. But the people said, you know, everybody around us has a king. We want a king. And so that's kind of the context. And God is getting ready to anoint Saul and say, okay, you want a king. I'm going to place my anointing on him. And, and he does it in an interesting way. Uh, no one ever said that the Bible was boring. He says, in order to achieve my anointing, I want you to go and wipe out these people, the Amalekites. 
and, and you can do a little bit of research on your own, but they're just, they're bad people. They had attacked the Israelites in the, in the wilderness, and God said, I'm, I'm going to repay you for your act. And so this is how he's going to do it. He's going he's to wipe them out. Um, and I'm going to break this down a little bit more. Ultimately, the main point of this story, the, the, the theme, is about obedience. God tells Saul to do something. Saul doesn't do it, and it has tremendous consequences. But what I want to look at is not so much obedience, but I want to look at why Saul didn't obey what God commanded them. In verse 24, Saul says, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. So there's several um, sections where it talks about why Saul didn't listen. And this is what God showed me as I was looking through this passage and I was understanding that it was because he feared the people that he made this lapse of judgment. What I realized is that the anxiety I was experiencing, and I'll be honest, it's to a lesser degree, but honestly, it's, it's something I'm still experiencing, was because my tendency is to allow other people to define how well I'm doing to base my sense of self, my spirituality, uh, how well I'm doing as a parent on other people. So whether that's Pastor Dan or whether that's my boss at work or whether it's my wife or my parents, my tendency is to ask them to define how well I'm doing and to ask the people to to determine my actions. So there's three things that I want to look at in that, that need for approval And I called it the burden for the need for approval because it feels like that. need to always make sure people think you're doing a good job. It's a heavy burden. There's three things I want to look at. The first thing is that the need for approval can have significant consequences for us that are not part of God's plan. The need for approval can have significant consequences that are not a part of God's plan. Verse 26 says, And Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord. And the Lord has rejected you from being king of Israel. Basically, the fact that he did not obey God in its entirety actually removed his anointing from God. And and we know, I know and you know, that we can get really good advice and opinion from others. When you're walking with godly people, the opinion of others can help direct your path. So that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is when we fear the opinions of others or they're so important to us that they determine, they define, they set the direction of our actions. So what does this look like? Maybe you found out that someone is gossiping about you. Someone's dissing you. I don't know if they still use the word dissing. They used the word dissing when I was coming up. Someone's dissing you. And you are so enraged, you're so caught up in that, that it's all you can think about to either uh, besmirch and ruin their reputation or to get back at them. That the opinion of others, are, it, just, it just eats at you. Or maybe it, it, it's, it's work. Maybe you're one of those people who just values your boss saying you did a good job and you're so focused on that that you've become a workaholic and you're not paying attention to the relationships that are important to you, your family or your kids. Maybe you're a student. Hopefully you're not one of the graduates, um, whose parents wanted a major or a career so much that that's what you pursued, and you're getting ready to go into a career that you know deep down is going to slowly eat you alive, but you just wanted to do what they wanted for you. 
Or maybe like me, and I was sharing this with the youth group last night, maybe you wanted so desperately to be liked by your friends and by your peer group that when they said, oh, just try it, everybody's doing it. And they really do say that. You know, people aren't clever. Kids say that without trying drugs. Just try it. Everybody's doing it. If you don't like it, you can stop. Same thing. That I can guarantee you they're still saying. Maybe when you hear that, you want so much to be accepted by those people that you do just try it. And you end up trying to stop trying it for four years. So the question you need to ask yourself, the question we need to ask ourselves, is are we making decisions based on what God wants us to do? Or are we making some of our decisions because of how we're perceived by other people? And so that's principle number one, that the need for approval can have significant consequences that are not part of God's plan for us. The second thing is the need for approval causes us to worship ourselves rather than worship God. The need for approval causes us to worship ourselves rather than God. So verse 12 says, and it was told Samuel, Saul came to Carmel and behold, he set up a monument for himself and turned and passed on and went down into Gilgal. So basically, Saul sets up a monument, a, uh, a statue. Probably it was a kind of a rocks, an altar. Um, it's often called an Ebenezer. But what it's meant to do, God uses it regularly and says, I'm going to build a statue here so that people can remember what I've done in this area. And um, God doesn't call Samuel to do it. Samuel just does it for himself. And it's kind of like, I want everybody who walks by here to recognize what I've accomplished, what I've done in defeating the Amalekites. So we hear a lot about um, old t- wor- idol worship, Old Testament and worshiping idols. And in the Old Testament, it's fairly easy to identify. Usually there is some sort of statue or like in the story of Moses, people make a golden calf and they worship that thing. Um, but, but, but I guess the question I've been asking myself is what does idol worship look like today? I don't know if too many of you have golden calves in your homes, but what does our context look like to worship idols? And I think we can identify when we're worshiping an idol by the amount of time and energy or money that we spend trying to do something. And and the thing that I thought about, and and hopefully no one's going to get angry with me, the thing that I I think about that contributes to our self-worship the most, or at least has the potential is um, social networking. So whether that's for you, Facebook, or whether it's Twitter, or whether it's Vine, or whether it's Instagram, or whether it's Pinterest, or whether it's LinkedIn, or probably another 10 that I haven't even mentioned yet because I'm not young enough to know what they are, there's, they all have one thing in common. This is what we do with social networking. We're managing other people's opinions of us. We're, we're setting out, this is what I want the world to see about me. And even if you're not a big social networker, but you're, you're like us, you're kind of use social networking to stalk other people, you're looking at it and going, how does their family look in comparison to our family? Or maybe how does their dinner look in comparison to my dinner? I don't know what the deal is with posting food, but that's a totally different subject. But you're, you're setting up your own worship of yourself because this is what I want people to know about me. You post the picture of your kids kind of perfectly sitting there going, it looks like this all the time. Our family's so cool. We're such good parents. Um, and so we have that potential. So again, I'm not saying that you all are, if you're using social networking, you are, um, you're 
causing sin. It's, it's amoral. It doesn't have, it's not good or bad. But what I'm saying is, just like in Saul, it's the potential when we need other people to think highly of us to spend our time just trying to manage other people's perceptions of us rather than experiencing genuine relationship. So principle two is to say that um, the need for approval causes us, tends to move us towards self-worship rather than the worship of God. And then the third principle um, that I'd like to look at is that the need for approval is rooted in insecurity. And this is a very short verse in there, but I think it tells the whole story. Verse 17, Saul says, Samuel says to Saul, Though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? Though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? Now you have to know a little bit of context on Saul. Saul was a tall man. Uh, the scripture says that he was very handsome. He was the kind of person that people wanted to have as their king. Here's, he's, the, he's the king over Israel. He's got the power. He's got the prestige. He's got the look. But Samuel calls him out and says, you're little in your own eyes. You don't think very highly of yourself. And so um, that's insecurity is what causes Saul to do what the people wanted him to do, to follow their opinions, to listen to what they wanted to do in this act of disobedience. The thing about insecurity, when you feel like, oh, I just need to, I need to do this thing or accomplish this thing for people to like me, is that when you get to that thing, there'll always be another thing. There'll always be another thing that you need to do to feel security when you have that insecure feeling. For me, uh, I remember thinking, boy, when I have uh, a house and kids and a family, then I will have arrived. And then you get the house and the kids and the family, and you're like, well, I don't really make as much money as so-and-so. I don't have as much prestige in my job, or I'm just a manager and not a director. There will always be another thing when you have that insecurity, when, when that's what drives you. Um, I am um, I'm an incredibly insecure person. I, I don't tend to come across that way. Um, I'm terribly interested in what people think of me. Um, which, as an aside, if you're going to speak your first sermon, don't do it on what people are going to think of you. Just, just saying. There was some working through of that that had to go on. Um, verse 20... Uh, uh, verse 20 says, I have, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I've gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. I have bought Agag and king of Amalek, and I've devoted the Amalekites to destruction. But the people took of the spoil, the sheep and the oxen, the best of the things. And he goes in a couple different pl places in that passage. He says, well, it's the people who did this. Or I, I listened to the people. The people wanted me to do this. He's both um, throwing them under the bus, he's blaming people, and he's justifying his own actions. And that's what insecurity causes us to do. We're constantly trying to justify our behavior or say, well, it's really because so-and-so did such-and-such. That's why I am the way I am. That's why I was raised this way. Or, you know, so-and-so uh, really was, uh, was, was speaking poorly of me, and that's why I reacted. When we, when we have that insecurity... Um, we're constantly justifying. So I thought, well, I can't, I can't talk about insecurity without talking about one of the things that I'm insecure about. This thing, one of the things I'm probably the most insecure about. I don't know if you guys are familiar with um, Tim Hawkins. Tim Hawkins is a Christian comedian. I don't usually like those words together because usually it means they're really bad. But Tim Hawkins is actually incredibly funny. So I'd recommend you go check him out. But Tim Hawkins does a, a bit called Family Worship. 
and I'm going um, to rip this off completely. Um, so family worship is the one Sunday where the kids are up during worship with the family. We do it every Sunday. Um, and so this is what he talks about when he talks about family worship. You know, you're singing, Lord, I lift your name on high. Lord, I love to sing. Would you stop it? I'm so glad you're in my life. I am going to ground you for a week if you don't stop. I'm so glad to sing your praises. That's kind of like us every Sunday. I don't know if you watch us up here. It's like a whole little circus. But here's what I've realized about that. The reason why, but here's the thing. Probably most of you don't even notice it. And if you did, you don't care. He's like, it doesn't bother you. It doesn't take away from your worship experience that my kids are picking their nose or climbing underneath the bleachers. That doesn't take anything away from you. What it does, it makes me feel insecure because I think, boy, they're going to judge me. That was one of those responsibilities as elder is you're supposed to have control over your family. I don't even have control for 15 minutes during worship time. These people are going to think, man, this, this guy's not, not a person who I'm comfortable having a leadership role in this church. It's all about me. And, you know, here's, here's the, the sad part. Here's the part that I need to work through. What it makes me do is try to get my kids to behave and do the right thing. And that makes them little moralists, not people who are here because they're supposed to be learning how to worship Christ. And so insecurity, that, that my insecurity is what kind of leads me to, to, to get mad at them or get frustrated. Um, and, and that's what's going to distract me from, from my relationship with the Lord. Here, here's the, the bottom line with insecurity. If you don't have Christ to tell you who you are, or you don't believe what he says, you're going to need the world to tell you who you are. Let me say that again. If you don't have Christ to tell you who you are, or you don't believe what he says about you, then you're going to need the world to tell you who you are. So just a couple of, of quick points of application. Um, again, I, I'm not fully through this, um, and, and I probably will still do the thing with the kids because it's going to take some time to work through it. But here, there's a couple of things that, that have been part of my journey over the last couple of months in working through this a little bit. Um, in contrast to Saul, who didn't have anyone speaking truth into his life, after Saul is, is brought down, the Lord brings up David. And David is a king. We've talked about him many times. David was a man who always surrounded himself with people who could be honest with him. First, it was Saul's son, Jonathan. He had this relationship with Jonathan, this incredible friendship, despite the fact that Jonathan's dad's trying to kill him. They have this bond. And then as king, he surrounds himself with what he calls these mighty men of God, men who were willing to, to go into battle, literally go into the go into the, the throng of the enemy to get him a cup of water out of the well that he, that he longed for. These were men who he had relationship with, who he had connection with. And what I would, would put forth is that we need to have these relationships because you need someone to be able to tell you, man, you're puffing hot air, and I love you enough to tell you that the person you are on Sunday morning doesn't look remotely similar to the person you are on Thursday night, and I love you, but... That's something we need to work on. Because if we don't have that person, and you're like me where you're always trying to look good in front of others, it's hard to break the cycle. 
Because it is, it's a cycle. You, you, it's always about pleasing others or wanting people to, think, people to think I'm looking good. And then it's someone, it's, not, it's someone else or in some other capacity of my life. It's never going to end on your own. You need people to walk with to tell you that. And then you need people who, when you are falling apart, those people are there to be with you. Um, I don't remember exactly when it was, but there was, a, it was one morning as I was just in the midst of this. Here's the thing about... Um, when you feel the need to be approved by others and you no longer have that, there's kind of an emptiness there. Because before, all I needed to do, people to do was, was think I was doing well and I was actually doing well. And then once you don't have that, there's, you kind of fall apart a little bit. But I remember one morning, um, our in-laws were over and um, the, the kids were screaming and I just lost it. I just lost it. I won't go into the details, um, but I just fell apart. And I remember calling Matt Post, and, and I, sa- I said, I, I mean, I know you're working, but I need to talk. I just need to talk. And he said, absolutely. So he took, he took uh, some time out of his day, and we went and had lunch. And I just had to share with him what was going on. He couldn't solve it. In fact, he said, I wish I had more to offer you. And I said, man, I just, need, I just needed you to listen. And, and it needs to be someone, here's part of what I realized, it needs to be someone who's not, who doesn't need you to be anything. Like, of course I can talk to Dan, uh, Pastor Dan. I, we do all the time. But I needed it to be someone who I wasn't feeling like I needed to have approval of. And, and Matt and I are like that. I, I don't need to prove anything to him. I don't need to be anything for him. And so that allowed me to really share what was going on. So that's the first application. You need to have people who are able to speak with, into your life. We all want someone to tell us we're okay. We all We all do. And we need, some, we need to audibly hear it. The second application is that you need to speak the truth of who Jesus says you truly are. When Christ dies on the cross, he doesn't just take away our sins. He gives us his perfect life. When God sees us, he sees nothing but the perfect life of Christ. And so we need to dig into his word and understand that, not just here, because I get it here. I need to feel it and understand it here. I need to know who I am in Christ. And that's a process. And that's digging into the word and reading the promises of what scripture says about us. Because that's where that's going to make that journey. Uh, And so there's two verses I want to leave you with that I think very much speak into the heart, the issues of of this, this, the, the heart of this issue. The first is Proverbs 29, 25, and it says, The fear of a man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. The fear of, the man, lays a, the fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. And for those of you who don't know what a snare, it's a trap. It catches an animal by the leg, and it just holds him there. It's a trap. Fear of man is a trap, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. And then 2 Corinthians three seventeen. Now the Lord is the Spirit... And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Safety and freedom. It's what we all want. It's what we all crave. It's what having the need for other people to approve us does not provide. And ultimately, it's what's found in our relationship with Christ. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, I am so thankful for your word.
that reaches into the deepest, darkest places of our hearts and our lives and says, man, I love you there. I love you in this, and I'm going to walk with you through this. And so I pray, Heavenly Father, if there are brothers and sisters in our community that recognize, man, I'm just too, too focused on what other people think. I want to be known by what you think of me, Lord, not what other people think of me. That you would gently walk with my brothers and sisters through that process. Lord, that you would show us who are in community with them what it looks like to love them well to walk with them through this journey. And ultimately, Lord, I pray that all of us as a community would walk together in our relationship with you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Over and over, and it will never be enough. It'll bring stress to your relationships, your marriage, your work, your friendships, because it will never be enough. And what Christ wants to do is free you. He wants to tell you, come, worship me who knows everything about you, who knows that you are actually far worse than you think you are. But I love you. I love you for who you are and who I'm making you into. And I want to encourage you to fall into that because some of you, you've been living your whole life trying to create this impression of who you should be or who you think you should be, and you're tired. You're exhausted. You're weary because that takes a lot of energy of our soul. And God wants to free you to say, be who you are so that I can make you into who, you, you, who I want you to be. And if you don't know Jesus, it's a whole nother level of exhaustion. And maybe God is saying to you right now, stop trying to be the good person and acknowledge that actually you're not that good. But God knows you and he wants to give you life. Receive him today. Trust him today. Know the Jesus who went on this cross for people who are not that admirable because he loves you. So let's stand up together. And wherever you are at in your life, maybe you are a Christian, but so much of your heart has been crafted around trying to make people view you in a certain way. Could I offer you the freedom of the gospel? to say what's truly as important is how God sees me as a sinner, but as a sinner who's beloved of God. If you're not a Christian, could I welcome you to this amazing good news of Jesus that says God loves people who are jacked up. God loves people who have made mistake after mistake after mistake and says, come into my presence. Let me take you. And that's why Jesus died on a cross for you to worship God. So let me pray for us and we're going to enter this time of communion and, and just receiving the Lord's grace. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the word that you gave to us today. What a true good word that apart from you, we are always going to try to find our worth in different things, even through other people. But you want to free us from that so that we can actually love people. Rather than looking for other people to try to complete us, we will be free to love other people. What would it look like for a church, God? So remind us of Jesus who looks at broken, weary people and says, come, give your burdens to me. I'm more than capable to take it upon my broad shoulders and to worship you, Lord. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for reminding us that you take away our sin, but you also give us dignity. You give us worth. 
you give us a reason to live. So we're going to open up the communion table here. And if you're a Christian, I would invite you to come up from both sides at the same time. Take a piece of the wafer in the middle. Remember the broken body of Jesus. And dip it in one of the two cups and take it right there at the table. Remember the passionate, driving, deep love that the Savior has for you. In every way that you feel you disappoint yourself. In every way that you feel you're not measuring up even through other people's eyes. Remember the Savior who doesn't love you because you measured up. But he loves you so that you can now measure up through his righteousness. If you're not a Christian, maybe today is the first time you say, hey, you know, maybe this isn't just about being a good person. Maybe this isn't all just about trying to look good enough, but it's it's about knowing the Savior who loves me when I'm not good enough. I want that. Confess your sin and confess and receive Jesus as your Savior. And maybe today can be the first communion you take as a genuine follower of Jesus. So let's do that. Let's sing, pray, receive communion, and receive the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ.